in week three of a series uh, called Static, Hearing God's Voice Through the Noise. And today, what we are going to be looking at is hearing God's voice through the static of fear. And as we were putting these discussion questions together this morning, or for this morning, uh, one of the things I couldn't help but doing is I couldn't help but laugh at some of the things that I remember being afraid of when I was younger, um, that as a 34-year-old man, there is no reason for me to be afraid of. And so So just to give you guys a glimpse into my life and to my childhood, I'm going to give you guys my top three fears that I had growing up. Uh, We can put that, that slide up. Number one was quicksand. I was death. Now, now, mind you, I grew up in metropolitan St. Paul, and I was deathly afraid of quicksand. Um, The reason I was deathly afraid of quicksand, we can go to that next slide, is I remember watching a movie called The NeverEnding Story. And it was one of my favorite movies. And there was a point where there was a horse that I was very emotionally attached to that sunk in quicksand. So ergo, in my mind, I should probably be afraid of quicksand too. Because it got the horse that everyone loved, and it's probably coming after me. Number two uh, thing that I was afraid of was (laughs) rogue gangs of corruption karate bullies that would beat me up while biking home from school. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. I never biked to or from school. I was a part of carpool, but I was afraid of rogue karate bullies because I remember seeing the movie The Karate Kid, and poor Daniel LaRusso, man, he was just getting his butt kicked by those Cobra Kai, and there was a moment where he was just biking home, minding his own business, and they showed up on their dirt bikes, and they kicked him down the hill. But then I thought, maybe if I get kicked down a hill, maybe that would be my Mr. Miyagi moment, because we all know that after that experience, he met Mr. Miyagi. But I was afraid of rogue gangs of karate bullies that would beat me up while biking from school. Number three is snakes. This is still a fear. So this is not one that I've gotten over, uh, but probably one that has gotten worse over time. I remember not being afraid of snakes. And then I saw this movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And if you ever saw this movie, this scared the bejeez out of you. And if it didn't, you have no soul. Uh, He fell into a vat of snakes. And I don't know what it was about this moment, but ever since then, I uh, was just, I've just been terrified of snakes. And you may laugh at me, but whatever. But Jen and I, uh, when we were on our final vacation before our oldest daughter, Taylor, was born, we went to Florida, and we had the opportunity to go, I believe Babe was at the Miami Zoo. We went to the Miami Zoo. I absolutely love going to the zoo. If you ever want to get me to cancel a meeting or do something that's not on the calendar, say we're going to the zoo, and I will be there. I love the zoo. And we decided that what we were going to do is we were going to follow this map that the Miami Zoo provided for us, and we were going to see literally everything that the zoo had to offer. And we were gonna, we were gonna walk the zoo. Jen was feeling confident. She was feeling pregnant sexy. And we were gonna walk through that. And about 30 feet in, she goes, you're gonna need to go and rent one of those bikes. And it was a bike with a canopy. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. We'll get where we're going faster. She didn't pedal once. And so we are pedaling through the Miami Zoo. And we are seeing every, I mean, it was so much fun. And there was one part of the zoo that we really wanted to see 
see, that we were super excited about seeing. But in order to get to that, we had to walk through the house of snakes. Now, what ended up happening was we had a very real, very marriage-driven discussion about the fact that, hey, we've seen almost everything, babe. Wouldn't it be great to see all of that again? And she says, no, we're going to see what we came and we have biked. We have biked to see, and you're going through this. And so as a 34-year-old man, my seven-month pregnant wife had to guide me by the arm while my arms were shut and my ears were plugged. That was a very humbling experience. And while my eyes were shut and my ears were plugged, it was not my finest moment. But many of us, I would say, if not all of us have something that we are fearful of, or we have, we maybe have one fear, we may have multiple fears. Some of us may have so many fears that we live life paralyzed because of those fears from living the life that God has created you to live. Some people are afraid of heights or flying or enclosed spaces. Some people are afraid of failure. Some people are afraid of success. Some people are afraid of rejection. And in studying for this message, I did a lot of research on the top fears that people have, and I wanted to share some of those. So again, maybe you'll feel a little less crazy because people have these fears, but the top seven fears amongst people are this. Number seven is aviophobia, which is the fear of flying. If you are afraid of flying, you are an aviophobe. An anthrophobe is someone who is fearful of people. If you are this person, can we just celebrate you because you got to church today and you're around people, so well done. You have taken the first step in a long journey, but we are glad that you're here. Acrophobia is the fear of heights. Claustrophobia, we we all know what this is. Claustrophobia is the fear of confined spaces. Arachnophobia is the fear of spiders. Uh, Thanatophobia is the fear of death. And the number one fear amongst everyone, people would rather die than do this. If you are a glossophobic, you have the fear of public speaking. You would rather be murdered on the spot than stand in front of people and speak. Uh, Some of the funnier ones that I found was this. Uh, This is so funny. Uh, Ergophobia is the fear of work. Uh, if, you're, if you have the fear of work, uh, you may be an ergophobic, or you just may be lazy. I don't know. Um, but then another one that I thought was really funny was pantherophobia, which is the fear of one's mother-in-law. Uh, I, <laughs> moments in my marriage, I have been that. Because Sue is a lot of things, but scary is definitely one of them. Um, but Sue, if you listen to this, I love you. And... That's it. Um, But as I've been praying about this message, about this series, how to tackle this issue of fear, one of the things that God has has kind of shown me, one of the things that God has revealed to me is that in life, we are going to be faced with situations where we have the opportunity to either be fearful or to choose to not be fearful. And one of the things that I've learned is that in order sometimes to get over or to get through a fear, the one thing that we tend to do as humans is lean away from the fear. But in order to get through the the fear, isn't it true? You got to kind of lean into it a little bit. You got to face it. You got to deal with it. In many cases, after you've leaned into it, you realize that the mystification of the thing that you feared was, was, it was just kind of smoke and mirrors. And in some cases, something that we may be fearful of our entire lives, when we lean into it, we'll find that the fear completely vanishes. But today, I want to ask you a question. Today, I wonder, what is it that creates fear in you? What is it today 
this morning, right now, that you are afraid of? Many times the fears that you and I have are connected with our current realities, whether that's, whether that's school or a job situation. Maybe it's the welfare of your children. Maybe it's the welfare of your grandchildren that creates fear in you. Are they well? Will they be safe? I remember walking through the process of watching my grandma get older, and her biggest fear was losing her self-reliance, not being able to take care of herself because that was her present reality. And she has since gone to be with Jesus, but walking through that as an observer and as a periodic encourager, it was really, really difficult to watch my grandma's biggest fear come to life. And guys, although I've been a pastor and a Christian for a very long time, and I know that God is in charge of my life, I wake up to static in my head and heart daily, and a lot of it, if not most of it, is rooted in fear. Last week we talked about insecurity, but insecurity is just fear that's taken one step further in our lives. And so if we're dealing with insecurity, man, we may have to look even further back to our experiences and ask, what is this thing that I am insecure of that is, le- that is manifesting itself because of fear? And the reality is fear has very little to do with how spiritual we are, how spiritually mature we are, And in fact, it has everything to do with the fact that you and I are human beings living in a broken world who have to deal with the pressures, demands, struggles, and uncertainties that come along with life. Also being subject to the spiritual attacks that come from Satan. Now, I know that there are many people that would prefer that I not refer to the S guy because if we don't talk about him, then he can't be real, right? But the reality is, he is real. Satan is very real. He is as real and living as you and I are. The Bible says that Satan is living, he is a living, breathing being, and that there are also demons who are very much alive and very active, and their entire purpose is to deceive and destroy you and I any way they can and to increase the static of fear in our heads and in our hearts any way that they can. But if you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to have any fear of Satan or the demonic because we do indeed serve a God who is not just winning the spiritual battle against the demonic and against Satan, but he is a God who has already achieved the victory over Satan and the demonic through the work of Christ on the cross and through his resurrection. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, can walk and live in the same authority that Christ walked and lived with, but you could be experiencing fear and not know where it's coming from. And may I suggest we look to the spiritual because it very well could be an attack from our enemy. But regrettably, the, the static of fear is not something that can simply just kind of be a snap finger defeated instance. I would love to just be able to wake up. I would have loved to have been able to wake up this morning and just been like, all right, here's the deal. Today, No more fear. Done. It's out the door. And then it's amazing in moments like that where I wonder, oh my gosh, are my kids breathing while they sleep? But the static of fear comes at us every day. It's it's usually about something or some things that are 
precious to us and something that I think that we need to start doing is something we talked about last week, but I, I forgot to mention this, and I, I can't believe I forgot that. But one of the things that we talked about is, is speaking God's truth over our lives. And one of the verses that I've begun to memorize and speak into my life every morning, noon, and night is Philippians 4.13. It's a fantastic verse, and it says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It doesn't say I can do some things. It doesn't say that I could just do the easy things. It says I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. And so when those moments of insecurity come and when those moments of fear come, you can speak truth to yourself about yourself because of Christ. You can do it because God has given you the strength to do so. So I want to encourage you, man, write this verse down on something Put it somewhere that you can see it. Recite it to yourself morning, noon, and night. Or I'm just going to ask you to take it a step. Just memorize it. It's 12 words. You can memorize 12 words. I know the theme songs to most sitcoms, and I can memorize 12 words. And so I want to encourage you, man, just memorize Philippians 4.13. And when moments of fear come, when moments of insecurity come, man, literally just stop and say, you know what? No, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. But the capacity of fear is actually something that you and I have been born with. It's actually one of the first humans, human emotions that, has ever been mentioned, that was ever mentioned in the Bible. And it comes after Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating the fruit from the tree that God said not to. And Adam and Eve heard God's vo- God walking through the garden as God did. And in Genesis chapter 3, it says this. It says that he, he being Adam, answered when God called out to them, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked So I hid. And so think about this. Up until this point in history, the world was a fearless place. But when sin entered the world, it brought fear along with it, and we've had to battle it ever since. Now, although some fear is good, honestly, I think some some there's some healthy fear. Like there should be a healthy fear of thin ice. There should be a healthy fear of red lights. There should be a healthy fear of quicksand or cobras or misguided karate bullies. These are all healthy, real fears. That was a joke from the first, whatever. You'll get it later. Um, But the truth is, guys, this morning, God never intended for you and for me to live our lives with the daily overwhelming and nagging fear that in some cases can completely halt some of our lives. In fact, this phrase, do not be afraid or fear not, is used over 110 times in the Bible, which means that God does not want you or I to live in fear. I love what uh, Isaiah says when he says this. He says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. This doesn't sound like God is making a suggestion, does it? He says, do not fear. Why? Because I'm with you. God is with us. Do you think that there's any place in your life that, God's, that God hasn't already been? Is there any place in your life that you think he won't be? In the church world, one of the words that we use to describe God is this word called omnipresent, which means that God is everywhere. So there's no place that he can't be, and there's no place that he's not. God is everywhere, and that means that he is in your past, redeeming your faults and failures. He's in your present, speaking and guiding you, and he's in your future, preparing the way that will bring him the most and utmost glory. So no matter where you've been, 
no matter where you are and no matter where you're going, you do not have to fear because God is with you. Look at what Paul writes in, 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 uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy verses 1 through 7. He says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Let's read that again. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So fear does not come from God. Because God gives us, through Christ, not spirits of fear, but spirits that contain power and love and self-discipline. And so I have to conclude that when you and I are afraid and living in fear, it's not coming from God, but it must be coming from someplace else. Could it be Satan? So the question I have today is how can we push through the static of fear in our lives? The fears that we have about work, money, health, school, our kids, unforeseen accidents or sickness or death. And this morning what I want to do is I just want to give you two quick tools for you to help you be able to use when fear starts to creep in. And those tools, and these tools are 100% biblical. They should be. We're in church. And the first tool is this, uh, human love. Human love. Check out what 1 John verse 4, chapter 4, verse 18 says. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So let me ask you this. How's the love factor in your life today? Because I know for me, when I feel like I'm loved, my fear factor goes way down. Specifically, if, I, if I'm feeling loved by my wife, by my kids, by my close friends, I actually feel, in, in many cases, stronger. There's no problem that seems too big, no challenge too overwhelming. Heck, I would honestly plant this church all over again when I'm feeling love because there's no love. There's no fear in love. But when my love factor is low, my fear factor goes way up. I begin to doubt, and when doubt sets in, insecurity follows. And when insecurity follows, insecurity begins to, to develop into fear. And not just fear of anything, fear of everything. So let me ask you again, how's your love quotient today? Let me ask it another way. How full today is your hug bucket? How full is your hug bucket? Now, I'm pretty sure that I came out of the womb hugging people because I am a hugger. I just, I love hugging people. The problem is that when you're a hugger, there are people who live in this world that are non-huggers. And the biggest issue that the non-huggers had is there are huggers living in this world. And we don't care if you're a non-hugger, you're going to get hugged anyway. That's the biggest issue. But we all have those people, don't we, that when, we get, when they give you a hug, you almost feel like your life battery begins to charge in the moment. I don't know what it is, but there are a few people, when they get their hooks into me, life just seems to get better. One of those people was my grandma, Leela. Grandmas just have that way of hugging you on purpose, don't they? And every time I got a hug from Grandma Lee, things just made sense in life. And nothing seemed to be impossible, and I miss those hugs. And so I want to encourage you this morning, never take a good hug for granted. But a study out of Duke University said that one of the keys in reducing fear in our life is not to have a lot of Facebook, social media, shallow, scratch-the-surface kind of friendships, but having, they said, three to four really close friends 
that you can be your best and worst with. Oftentimes, I refer to these friends as refrigerator friends. Why? I'm glad you asked. Because there are certain friends that I have in my life that have such access to who I am and what's going on in my life that I could be home or not be home, and they could literally walk into my house, take whatever they want out of the fridge, and leave, and it would be totally normal because that's just the type of friend they are. Now, in some cases, I would think, am I being robbed? But it's that kind of friend that can just walk in and take whatever they want. Now, I feel like I need to say this. I wish I didn't. But don't just go and start hugging people. Like, don't just leave church and start hugging people because you're going to either get pepper sprayed or they're going to be like, that is a weird person, and then they're going to find out where you came, and then no one's going to come to church anymore. And so just don't go around hugging just random people. You're not going to get a good reputation. Now, there are certain people in your life that you should not hug given the situation or circumstances, and usually what I have to do is I have to ask myself, if someone I knew saw me doing what I'm about to do, would they question my integrity or motives? And usually that question eliminates a lot of potentially awkward and unnecessary situations. So don't just go around hugging people because um, if you know a hugger, you'll, you'll, you'll know it. It's like, how, do you, how can you tell someone does CrossFit? Don't worry, they'll tell you. You know what I mean? So it's like, you'll just know the huggers. Another study out of UCLA said that in order for us to maintain positive emotional health, most of us need 8 to 10 meaningful touches a day. This could be anything from a pat on the back to a hug to a handhold to a kiss if it's appropriate to sex only if you're married. But eight to ten meaningful touches a day. So let me ask you this. How full is your hug bucket? Now that's just the human side of the love equation. There's a whole other side. And the second tool is this, is, is God's love. Let's look back at, at 1 John 4.18. It says there's no fear in love, but check this out. It says perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and no one who fears has made, no one who fears has, the one who fears has not been made perfect in love. Who's the only person that could ever be capable of perfect love? It's the one who sets the love standard and that can only be God. God is the only one who is capable of perfect love. And so if you're looking for someone other than God to accomplish what only God can, you're going to live life incredibly disappointed throughout the entirety of your life because all love other than God's love will fall short and will fail you at times. You may be saying, so you're saying to me this morning, Steve, that my spouse's love will fail me. Absolutely. Are you saying that my parents' love will fail me? Yes. Are you saying that my mima and my papa's love is going to fail me? And I will say, without doubt. But let's not simply look at only others' love that's failed you, because let's just be honest this morning. You and I have failed other people when it comes to our love. Others have been on the receiving end of our imperfect love, our love failures. And what happens all too often is that we load up on the human side of love and we neglect the God side. 
we come to the conclusion that if, we're, that if we're surrounded by more and more people and we fill our calendars with more and more events and become a part of more and more groups and sign ourselves or our kids, if we're parents, up for more and more activities, then we won't feel that fear, that whatever it is, that fear creeping into our lives. But when we have that empty moment in our schedule that we have tried so hard and so uh, diligently to schedule out of, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a moment that's empty and we realize that the fear has not left, but the fear has only increased. And so if there's no fear in love, and perfect love, God's perfect love, drives out fear, then wouldn't it be safe to say that God's love is so perfect, so powerful, so overwhelming, that it can drive out my most overwhelming fear? Because the more room that you and I make for God is the less room that you and I have to fear to have fear occupy our lives because God's love doesn't simply dull fear. But I love this, this word. It says it drives it out. So how's the God side of love in your life? Do you spend time with God? Do you spend time with God like you spend time on Facebook? Do you spend time with God like you spend time on Netflix or Hulu? Do you spend time with God in his word, in times of prayer and reflection, in times of worship? Do you spend time with God while spending time with close friends, with people who are strong in their faith, who will remind you and encourage you in the ways of God and with your relationship with him? Is there anything that's getting in the way of, your, of the relationship between you and God? Is there a sin that's causing a divide between God and yourself? Because what sin does is that it promises us something, then condemns us for it. And then in understanding that we've sinned, we feel fear and shame, and then we try and hide our sin from God and from others. How do I know that that happens in your life, and how do I know that it happens in my life? Is because it's the same thing happened in Genesis 3. Adam sinned against God, and in that moment, our relationship with God was broken. And then when God shows up in the garden... Or when God shows up in your life, Adam, Adam and Eve felt fear because they knew they messed up. They felt shame because of their nakedness, and they hid from God. And don't we do the same thing today? You see, God's relationship with Adam and Eve, because of their sin, uh, their relationship was never the same. And because of their sin, mankind's relationship with God has been broken ever since. But, but, God forgave them he pursued them, and Adam and Eve relearned that perfect love casts out all fear. And this is something that God invites all of us into through the person of Jesus Christ that you and I as broken human beings can experience perfect love in a real and authentic way. And as your pastor, as someone who loves you very much, I feel the need to sort of lean in for the next moment a bit. Because the reality is that no one on this side of eternity will ever escape pain, tragedy, or loss. doesn't matter how spiritual or godly you are in this life, you will experience pain, you will experience tragedy, you will experience loss. Some of you have already experienced something like that. Some of you have walked through life where you've experienced all three. But whether you've yet to experience or whether you've already experienced all kinds of pain, tragedy, or loss, you will con honestly, you will continue to experience it until we step into eternity. And this reality causes me to ask myself a very important question, and it's an important question that I want to ask you today, is what if your worst fear 
actually happens. What if your worst fear actually happens? Now, most of the things that you and I fear in this life actually never happen. But what if it does? What if you lose that job? What if you lose your health? What if you lose your home? What if you lose your marriage? What if you were to lose a child or a parent? Would your faith be mature enough to believe that God's perfect love would meet you there at the end of your rope? See, the truth is, faith is not a force field that deflects fear. Faith is not a force field that deflects difficult times from happening. The truth is, faith actually becomes engaged when bad things happen. And I think oftentimes the sign of a mature faith is not a life lived in the absence of pain or struggle or hardship, but mature faith is saying, even if my worst fear does happen, God, I trust you that you will perfectly meet me at my worst with your perfect love. I'm going to share just a quick story, and we got a video to play, but I, I, I thought I contemplated sharing this for a while, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm really over right now. I apologize. And I know that I've shared this story in part or in, in a few parts before, but after praying really hard about it, I feel like it's the right thing to share. And, and so before we started Motion City Church, Jen and I and Taylor, when it was only Taylor at the time, um, we lived in St. Paul, and we were on, a, on staff at a church in St. Paul. And, and one of the greatest perks about that job it wasn't the park. It wasn't the driveway that we shared with the parking lot of the church. That was always a bummer. Um, or it wasn't that everyone in the church knew where you lived. Not a huge perk, but one of the biggest perks is that we got to live uh, next to, uh, near, and be on staff with our, our friends Levi and Kelly Hoyt. And Levi and Kelly um, are still some of the greatest people that we know. But we were so excited because we were getting to live close to our friends in a new city at a new church. And it was great to just be near someone that you already knew. Um, and in the process of being on staff, um, uh, over the time that we were there, Levi and Kelly kind of, they, not kind of, they totally 100% became pregnant. And we were so excited because there's certain people that you meet in your life and you're like, they are going to be parents. And they're going to be, there's certain people that I'm like, they're like, you guys are going to be great parents. There's no one in this church that we've thought of that, that eh, you guys are all fantastic. You guys are going to be great. Um, but it was just those, <coughs> those people, and we were so excited. Man, they were excited. We were excited. We, were, we would celebrate. I mean, it was just so much fun. And, and one of the things that we used to do every, I mean, almost every night was we used to go for walks. Uh, down Summit Avenue, down Grand Avenue, and Levi and Kelly would, would join us most nights. And, and when they became pregnant, Levi would, uh, would take a very active lead in pushing Taylor in her stroller because he would do, oftentimes the way that he referred to it is, I just got to test out how it feels. I got I to work out the feeling of this, this stroller. And as the months went on, they got more and more excited, which meant we got more and more excited for them. And so the morning finally came for Kelly to give birth and I remember running some errands to the Mall of America real quick because Jen's folks were going to be coming into town that afternoon, and I got a call from Levi. And Levi is not a chatty guy, but he was just chatty. He was talk, asking all kinds of questions, making all kinds of comments about everything that's going to be happening, how their life is about to change. 
And I remember just like listening and, and smiling on the other end of the phone as I was walking through the Mall of America. And I'm not usually smiling when I'm walking through the Mall of America, but I was smiling that day. And as I got out to my car, as the conversation kind of concluded, I remember saying, Levi, this is going to be the greatest day of your life. Fast forward to that evening, my family and Jen's family, we were going out to dinner on the University of Minnesota campus. Why? Because Jen's mom had gotten a group on for a restaurant right in the heart of the University of Minnesota. Not so much a family-friendly thing, but hey, a Groupon's a Groupon, right? <laughs> um, and all of a sudden, as we're walking into the restaurant, I get a call from, at the time, Levi's sister's boyfriend. And I picked up the call, and without even hesitation, I asked, is she here? To silence on the other end, and then words with Steve, you need to get to the hospital, they lost the baby. Fast forward to about 1 a.m., after myself and another pastor had been at the hospital listening and crying and praying with members of the family and members of the nursing staff, I found myself, I don't even know how this happened, but I found myself holding a lighting prop in a hospital room as a photographer was there taking photos of Cadence with her mom and her dad. And I am doing everything inside of me to keep it together. I'm trying to be strong for my friends whose worst fear happened. And as I'm awkwardly staring off into the distance in between pictures, all of a sudden I feel this hand reach up into mine and just squeeze it a little bit. And I look down in kind of some surprise and and it was Kelly, and, and she reached up and, and grabbed my hand, and so I gave her hand a little squeeze back, and she said to me, Steve, can you believe that God trusted us enough to go through this? Their dream, broken. But you could see the presence of God all over this couple. Were there tears after? Absolutely. Was there pain and anger and frustration that followed? Yes. But the whole reason I tell you that story is to tell you this one. A few years later, we find out that Levi and Kelly are, are pregnant again in the process. They adopted a, a beautiful little girl, Sophia, who is just like the Energizer bunny on the Energizer bunny. Like, it's just, she's just crazy and beautiful and wonderful. And so we find out that Levi and Kelly are pregnant again. And we're so excited, and yet I am so afraid. I'm afraid because what if what happened before happens again? And so very randomly, we run into Levi and Kelly, and I can't remember where we were or the small talk we made, but we made small talk for a little bit. And, and all I wanted to do was ask about the pregnancy. All I wanted to do was ask, how, things, how are things going? How, what do the doctors say? What's their prognosis? What's their... What's their what are they thinking? How Kelly's feeling? How, how Sophia's feeling about all this? And then in a moment of just kind of empty space, like an idiot, the pastor who should know bedside manner, uh, like an idiot, I just blurt out, are you guys afraid at all? And without even thinking, Levi says, no. And I ask, how? And he says this, 
because God met us at the bottom when Cadence died. And he'll meet us wherever we end up next. Is there pain in this life? Yes. Will there be tragedy? Absolutely. Will there be moments of loss and sorrow? Without a doubt. But Jesus never tells us otherwise. Look at what he says in John chapter 16, verse 33b. He says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Mike, you want to get that video channel ready? But at whatever bottom you find yourself at, know this. God will meet you there with his perfect love that drives out all kinds of fear. Next week, what we're going to be talking about is hearing God's voice through the static of discouragement. And I want to invite you back next week. It's going to be a great weekend. But would you join me and stand as we pray? Heavenly Father, we... Father, there's moments in life where we allow fear to occupy the totality of our focus. And God, the reality is we can't do this on our own. You never created us to do this life on our own. And so God, I pray, Lord, in moments where fear begins to creep in, begins to occupy our thoughts and our actions and our intentions, God, would you help us to reach out to others as well as reach out to you. Because God, like this song says, this life is worth it in the end. So God, I ask, Father, that you would begin in this moment, Holy Spirit, to calm the voice of fear in people's hearts and in people's lives. God, would you begin to speak into their existence, God, your plans and your purposes for their life. And God, we hold on to the fact and the truth that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. God, we thank you for your perfect love.